0: Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Five days after claiming class and tradition is something oil money cannot buy, Mikel Arteta's self-righteous gunners feel the full brunt of exactly what oil money can buy as Manchester City put on a title race classic at the Emirates Stadium. It's Thursday the 16th of February, I'm Amos Murphy. I'm Andrew Detmer.
1: I'm
2: Ollie Kirsch. And I'm Joe Ritchie,
0: and this is the City Report podcast. Where is going from there? And the goal to keep this extraordinary run going.
1: Sergio Aguero,
0: unbelievable! Manchester United one, Manchester City six.
2: It's two for Zeca.
1: Buckford three, Manchester City four. They have made
3: the impossible possible.
0: We have wheeled the big guns out for this one—a massive, a massive win. Um, we're still going to try and keep it as, as tight and condensed as we can. So straight into it, Ollie. Moment of the match. Hit me. Well, don't hit moment me actually, of the but match. you know what I mean. <laughs>
3: Moment of the day, Don't eat it like Edison hitting Ketia, right? Oh. Moment of the match will be Jack Grealish's goal, Jack Grealish's celebration, nearly getting himself sent off, Jack Grealish's post-match interview. Today, for me, was all Jack Grealish. I'm, I'm happy to
0: have any sort of moment that involves Jack Grealish. Joe, moment of the match. Uh,
2: possibly the other side of the field. Kevin De Bruyne just getting an eight one-on-one altercation with Mikel Arteta, (laughs) who great things at City, but he's just been a pain in the ass at Arsenal. So I loved every minute of that.
0: Andrew, you've got the slim pickings, but there was plenty of a moment of the match.
1: I'm going to have to go with Erling Holland just deciding to again show that he is more than just a man that scores goals. He is a man that plays football, a man that makes other teams have to account for him at all times, and a man that is perfectly happy to set up his teammates, including our boy Jack, to score a goal.
0: I can't believe nobody said the Ruben Diaz tackle. That was for me the moment the, the moment of the season, potentially. Um right, okay. Let's crack on, uh, Ollie. Obviously, there's four people in this podcast, Earth City Report podcast. First, so we're going to try and rattle as much as we can into it. First things first, though, as always, initial reaction to that match: Manchester City three-one winners away at the Emirates, moved top in, a, moved top of the table, albeit momentarily with Arsenal having a game in hand. But I think you file that one one hundred percent understatement win
3: absolutely Uh, I said in the preview pod that you can't overstate the importance of the game tonight I also said that I believe the winner of the game tonight if there was a winner barring a draw would be the team that would go on and win the title I do stand by that
2: Hmm.
3: with a caveat and I've mentioned this we've spoken about this in our WhatsApp group since the game if Kevin De Bruyne can recapture his form we will go on to walk this title I believe that if he can't I think we're going to slip and stumble, but we will get over the line in the end. I'm going to stick by it. I think we're going to go on off the back of this result and win the league. But how straightforward it is, I think, all comes down to De Bruyne because he he showed flashes of himself against Villa. Obviously, he got a goal and an assist tonight, but largely he, was, he wasn't he was himself again. Um, it's concerning. I think how straightforward the rest of the season is, is going to rely on him. But mm. we've won tonight. Big blow for Arsenal, City to win the league.
0: There we go, ballsy, ballsy statements already. About five minutes in, um, I know what you mean. For, for me, I think there's obviously there's been a lot of people who had who had been calling the title race done and dusted prior to this match, and you know, Ollie, you, you're following up in that mantle. But I, I see it more as like this is the the starting flag for the title race. And City, have obviously had a massive, massive sort of they've needed to Arsenal have had a head start on City, but but City need to capitalise now, don't they, Joe? This this has to be the continuation of the momentum we saw, <clears> which for me, probably. If we're being honest, started last Monday afternoon when the Premier League dropped those charges. City season floating into obscurity. Since then, the whole club has been revitalised. And at this point, as Ollie says, you struggle to see what's going to stop him, barring self-implosion.
2: Right. I mean, this is a statement. When and I think it's also uh, not a surprise to most that what happens when you don't heavily rotate a side. City had mm. success at the weekend against Villa. Um, obviously it brought in a, a change of Ake for Laporte, but cohesion and and the attack, it didn't necessarily all show in the first half, but I think throughout the match, the players that are either playing their way back into form or continuing their form, it's, it's showing as an, as an 11 right now. And to me, that's the biggest thing. And if we're going to go on this run that I I think the four of us probably all feel is coming to me, it's going to take the whole squad, but it's going to take eight, maybe nine players constantly playing match after match. And and keeping that, you know, almost what Arsenal had at the beginning of the season. City have had, in a way, the luxury of of rotating in different players and keeping fitness good in the squad. So I'm hoping that Pep, in some of his post-match comments, has recognized that, you know, he's made some mistakes along the way, but (laughs) we may be turning a corner here.
0: Well, fantastic segue. It's almost like you've seen my notes, because Andrew, I want I want to pick up, sort of bring the mood down slightly, but but also sort of recognizing that first half, Guardiola coming out were to Amazon Prime saying that. You know what frust- he was asked what frustrated him the most in that first half and he said, my tactics. And it was a rare... Guardiola's been doing this the last couple of weeks, hasn't he? You know, that, that, that Stephen Gerrard comment, that press conference in general. We're seeing a different side to him, I reckon. And um, first things first, I don't know what you made of the tactics. Secondly, it's nice to see that admission, that, You know, maybe he does listen. Maybe he is on Twitter looking at all our tweets. But, you know, there has clearly been a frustration amongst city supporters that something isn't right. For him to come out and say that is like, okay, fantastic. Now we can move forward and hopefully it changes.
1: Yeah, I think that for me, what those comments that he made post match and these tactics that he went in with, and then kind of, I think he took the reins off a little bit in the second half. But what it shows and his comments, And relay is that Pep is maybe realizing that this team is not set up to be a pure control the ball, not take risks, just slowly progress, Mm. break the side down and score one, maybe two goals. We don't play well like that. We play well when we open it up. We take some risks. We, you know, get in stuck into tackles. And with Holland, like Pep maybe just needs to accept that we aren't going to get a lot of clean sheets. Mm to get the best out of him. But if giving up a goal, a match like we did today, but we score three, that is perfectly fine. And and hopefully maybe this shows him that he can be a little, bit, little less worried about trying to control the match and more worried about just what's the best way to win it. And the best way to win with this team is to put our best players on the pitch and say, go score some goals, guys. And we thankfully did that today.
3: Yeah, just a point on that as well. With Haaland with these balls over at this point, I actually think we had it right tonight. We did send a lot of balls through to Haaland and same as in the Villa game, one or two of them caused a lot of chaos. At this point, I actually don't think the tactics are wrong. I think we're executing that. Well, not executing it. We are attempting it as much as we should be. At this point, it's now for the players to get on Haaland's level and deliver the balls that he needs in behind. Mm. A few of them went straight into the centre-backs, straight into the full-backs or forced Haaland down into the wide channels. We're attempting it. That's step one. That's great. Uh, if the players can get that ball right, excellent. I think we're, we're going to be in for a lot of joy. And I think what it
2: also shows to kind of back back off of Ollie's point with with playing Holland in behind, it's not always like the goal against West Ham to start the season where it's a through ball and he's in on one-on-one with the goalie. Sometimes it's just open, opening up the opposition defense, creating chances for others like we saw for Grealish's goal, right? You put him through. He He's... We saw with uh, the assist against Villa. We saw today with the pre-assist to Gundogan to Grealish. Like he's not afraid to get involved in the buildup, but sometimes it's just making that pass, stretching the defense, and opening things up. And it doesn't have to be a goal for Holland every time.
0: Yeah, exactly. Spot on. Um, it's nice having these four-person pods because you you can do all the talking and it comes back to me and I can pick it up. But you know, you spot on. Arsenal's defense has been lauded at times this season. William Saliba, and I still think it's the case. You know, we're not going to make some. Well, we might make some sweeping conclusions, but we're not going to make some sort of like. You know, we're not going to. You're not going to write them off completely. Saliba's been a masterclass. He's been one of the sort of the the stories of the season. Obviously, he'd already signed for the club, but. Those balls in behind the amount of mistakes Arsenal defenders were making, and you know City supporters will know Zinchenko has that in him, but he hasn't really been doing that a lot in an Arsenal shirt. And 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 the you know City made those that played those balls and forced Arsenal into those errors. And I think I can't remember um, Andrew. I'll come straight back to you, but I, I, I off the top of my head, I think every single one of of, of City's goals in some way came from a, a, an Arsenal mistake in sort of. Quotation marks because there was still a lot for City to do and a lot of quality. You know, De Bruyne's finish is potentially goal of the season contender. And, and I guess what I'm getting at here, it wasn't a classic performance, but as you've all said with Erling Haaland, that you're going to score goals. You know, that's a given. What happens at the back of the pitch is, is something that can be sorted out whenever. But to, to, to just dangle that carrot, and and I said it after the Spurs win, embrace the chaos a little bit. And I think it was another chance, another example of City letting the handbrake go a little bit and just letting the players who are good at football do things that are good on a football pitch.
1: Yeah, the, the thing that can be frustrating for me at times, really since we've returned from the World Cup, is it seems that Pep is not willing always to take those risky balls to let Holland run in behind for fear of what could come back at City. Mm. But you just have to trust that your team can defend those because one of the things that makes Holland so dangerous is not just that he can score the goals that he does. It is that if you slip up for a moment, he could be in on goal. And by doing that, you're going to force the other team in their defense, in their midfield, to account for that and play less aggressively and sit further back. So while it is a risk, you actually have to take that risk to make it easier mm. to play through the other team because it forces them back. Um, and I think we've seen it at times. And you know what? Sure, sometimes it might lead to a little bit of chaos ball, but that's fine. Our players can can handle that. And with Holland there, we can probably finish off more chances created
0: by that chaos than we ever have before. Yeah, and the Spurs away game, I'm getting my Spurs game sort of mixed up here, but the Spurs away game was the perfect example of... That system not working for Haaland at all and doing the complete opposite would have been beneficial, as we saw, against Arsenal. Um, Moving on then, Oli, what switched in the second half? There's a few talking points I want to pick up on the first half to come, including the penalty decision. But in terms of the first half performance, the second half performance, because to start off with, there wasn't a personnel change. So what do you think it was that that changed, that allowed City to score these was Was it just Arsenal making mistakes? Are we sort of glorifying this a little bit? I know Grealish in his post-match said Arsenal were the better team. And to be honest, like, on balance, I possibly agree, but there was a, there was definitely a switch because City were much better in that second half.
3: Yeah, we were. I think I'd just probably echo what Pep said at this point with regards to the second half. We were more aggressive. We were somewhat better on the ball, albeit we still didn't really control the midfield or control the game. Um what changed? Not that much. What got us ahead was, yeah, just just I think some individual quality. You know, Gundo's dummy, um, Haaland's touch and finish. Uh, obviously, just the, 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 the mistakes that did occur at the back for Arsenal as well. And that's why I do want to exercise a little bit of caution in saying that this is a turning point in the season. Performance-wise, it wasn't. We still mm. weren't our best. Um, We're still clearly adapting to how we work Harland in. We do have defensive issues to sort out. The system is certainly a long way away from, from its final product because we are in something of a footballing transition. So I want to exercise caution in saying that this is a springboard into great performances. It's a springboard in other ways, but yeah, not much change in the second half. We were just clinical, some individual quality shone through. Arsenal... Wobbled at really bad times. Um, yeah, we 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 still need to be going into the next next run of games, uh, starting with I think it's Forest uh, with a much better approach and just capable of controlling the ball a lot more. But that, they'll pose a different challenge anyway. You know, we, we'll, we'll see what comes with them. We'll cover it in the preview. But yeah, not much change in the second half. But we 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 just did the job. We did what we needed to do. See, I think.
2: Respectfully, Ollie, I disagree in that not much change. I think something big changed. It was Bernardo Silva moving up to right wing and Akanji coming in. Um, both goals came after Bernardo subbed on. I think his pressing from up front, you wouldn't have known that Arsenal were at home. They looked like a side that were intimidated by an away crowd. They were making mistakes. I thought to start the second half, City weren't their usual brilliant self. But it felt like once Bernardo came forward to the right wing position, which I think was in the 61st minute. Um, it just felt like everything to do with City's attack had more intent um, and and a little bit more, um, just a little bit more bite to it. And I think that's what he was trying to offer from left back. But at right wing, there was a lot more finished product with it.
3: Yeah, sorry. I, I probably understated my, my very first point, which was that Pep was right in the sense that we were more aggressive. We pressed higher up. We, we were better off the ball. But on the ball, we still failed to do what we're so used to us doing. We we still didn't control the game. We still didn't impose ourselves on an Arsenal. And even at 2-1 up, we didn't turn the screw. Again, our third goal came out of, I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but it still wasn't particularly expected. So yeah, I, I agree with you. We were more aggressive. We won the ball higher up. Bernardo changed the game in terms of how we were off the ball when he moved into the advanced position, but on the ball, we still weren't ourselves, and that's something we need to get back on. You, you say
0: that, but I, I don't know if City ever will. I think we're looking at this potentially in the lens of we've had some fantastic title winning teams. You know, I look back at last season, even at this point, and I go, that football team was. Possibly two, three, four times better than this football, and, and I underline the word football there in the way that they played football, the, the way they build, they, they build up from the back, the way they created chances. But that's fine because City, as we've mentioned with Harland, are going to score goals anyway. So the the issue, the, the the sort of the debate here, I suppose, is: Do you surrender some of the beauty for the results and the end product? And obviously, at the moment, oh sorry, in the, in previous weeks, City haven't always had the end product in terms of results. But it feels like we're getting to that point now where City can be. I think it was potentially I saw on 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 the coverage that it was City's lowest percentage possession in a Premier League game under Pep Guardiola, which is astonishing. Considering you know, I don't think many people would say City weren't deserved of the win, albeit maybe not the better team, if that makes sense. Um, Andrew, then we'll, we'll roll this along because I want to I, I want to touch on this man because. I'm feeling justified. I'm feeling I'm feeling vindicated. I I'm going to bed tonight with a big smile on my face. And and it is, of course, Jack Grealish. And um we've ever since the advent of this podcast, sort of twelve months ago, when it was just Adam and I, and and even since then, we've peddled the line that Jack Grealish is an integral part to Manchester City's setup, to his to, to the City squad, to what City want to do. He was important in the title win last year. Obviously, you know he wasn't one of the standout men, but he played a role that many people sort of underappreciated at times. I am beyond happy, and I'd like to have your thoughts on this now, Andrew. I'm beyond happy to see him reaping those goals and assists re- uh, rewards. We know they don't matter. But when the narrative shifts from Jack Grealish is underperforming at City to Jack Grealish is one of City's most important players, you know what we've been saying in the past has sort of come to fruition a little bit. Absolutely. There's two parts of this. One,
1: there's the standard narrative, or narrative might not be the right word, but adjustment period necessary mm. to play in the City side for most of the players. Jack didn't really get that and people were trying to make it you know put the pressure on him that comes with his price tag even though he has zero say in how much money a team pays for him mm. so any player you should never say oh well he's not doing enough for x transfer amount that's a different question than how he is playing and i think that J- jack was being judged unfairly fairly by that particularly because a lot of what he was doing he was doing the right things and setting up city to play well and do well and score, but city didn't have someone there to do it now with a striker to actually play off of like he had when he was at Villa at his best, we are seeing what Jack can offer to the side. And we have seen how much that his ability to keep the ball, to distribute the ball and to just draw draw fouls sets city up so well in a whole host of ways. So for me, I don't feel like Jack Grealish is suddenly performing better. Mm. He is the same player that he is. It's just finally people are able to see what he brings to this team because City now play in such a way and have a system set up that actually gets the best out of him and not just... Let's him do what he does well, but not take advantage of it.
0: But, uh, you say it set to it get the best out of him. I still think he'd be a, a much better player with a, an overlapping left back. So he's sort of doing this in spite of the system at this point. And, and some numbers from his performance 77 minutes played, four out of four dribbles completed, five out of six ground duels won, one chance created, one goal scored. Ollie, um, it may have even been your first episode on the show, but you're another person who has. Been been cashing in these Grealish stocks, and and as the kids say, he's cooking at the moment, isn't he?
3: Yeah, I've I've been a, a Jack Grealish Stan account effectively on Twitter <laughs> since the day he joined. Because I think the the funny thing about Grealish was that he had he he got this typical big money city treatment, didn't he? He was a darling player of the English media. He was he was loved by fans almost universally because he was Jack the lad. He was doing well for Villa. He was this star. And he came to City, he was booed left, right and centre and everyone was looking at his price tag, looking at his wages and frankly looking at the performances last season. But his quality has always been clear. I've always said that the system was not suited to him last season. Things are changing, as you've said. I I really want to see him in the number eight position. Um, I want to see him challenging De Bruyne even for that position. Um, is there
0: the, the, the space for him to operate like that? Because I, I was on it recently, I was on the Holt End podcast and and I mentioned that and the Villa fans were telling me that he was fantastic for Villa in central midfield. But I always get the sense with that and we saw it with the second goal because the space was there on the transition for, for Grealish. Is there going to be the space for Grealish in a number eight to do what he did so well at Villa and does so well on the left wing in this Manchester City team considering how other teams are up?
3: I I don't see why not. I don't see why not, Amos. I think if you look at the qualities that we know Jack has, that we know for sure that he has and that he displays in the position that he does play in, he's excellent in tight spaces. He's excellent on the turn. He's excellent at retaining possession. That's the key Mm. thing with Pep. He's excellent at retaining possession in these tight spaces, whether he's got a player up his arse as he receives the ball or whether he's turning into a wall of players. He's comfortable. The one thing that we don't know whether or not Jack has is the killer ball from the midfield Mm. position that we know De Bruyne has. And that's just because he's untested. Now, from our position, maybe Pep has tried him in that in training and can see that he doesn't have the killer ball. In that case, we've just got to hold our hands up and say, fine, Um, but notwithstanding that potential um unknown quality i really do believe he's got everything else all the attributes that we as a team in our system need at number 8 so if de bruyne's form stays at the level it is which frankly isn't good enough at the moment i would like to see jack challenging you know perhaps in a cup game uh, perhaps in a Champions League game even, you know, if we've hopefully got, a, I, I mean, I doubt it's going to be the case, but hopefully if we've got a comfortable lead after the first leg of Leipzig, I'd just like to see him tried there. Mm. Uh, final point on that, I want to see him tried there ahead of Foden. Um, I think we could do with Foden's pace and directness on that left side. Um, whereas at the moment with Jack and Mares, we've kind of got two very similar profiles out wide. Mm. So, Foden left, Mares right, Jack in the number eight. Um, I would like to see the experiment run, but I completely understand at this stage of the season if it doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that on the Foden sense. I think a lot of people are waiting for Foden to be moved into midfield, and, and, and under Pep Guardiola, I just don't think he's got the the calmness about him, which is fine, which is absolutely fine because he's a fantastic player and he offers a lot out wide. He's another one that hopefully his form can pick up in the in the latter end of the season. Um, final word of part one, then Joe goes to you, and, and and it's probably the easiest question of this of this podcast of this season. Uh, Erling Haaland, twenty six goals for the Premier League campaign, thirty two goals for the season season my calendar is telling me we're in mid-february um what else is the left to say joe what else is the left to say
2: can he do it on a cold rainy night in stoke (laughs) (laughs)
0: liam Delap can't quite clearly (laughs) no
2: um well it's funny right because there is so much left for him to be able to to learn and do in the city side which is terrifying to think about if you're anything Mm -hmm. but a city fan um i think there were a lot of occasions today and and by no means to get negative just to be real where he he would make these passes like he had someone running through behind and just nobody was there and Mm -hmm. you still get the sense that when he's on the ball i mean we've seen the assist to Foden in the Derby, we've seen the assist this past weekend at villa like he can put together a final ball that's quality but his build-up play still needs a lot of work and I have no doubts that he can build on that Um, I don't think anyone's ever doubted or will doubt his his ability to put the ball in the back of the net that that was ultimately what City signed him for but I think over the next couple months and seasons um, he'll only improve as an overall footballer and I think we saw snippets of that tonight which is really encouraging
0: okay that'll do for part one we'll be back in a moment to continue our review of Manchester City's victory at the Emirates Stadium Welcome back to the City Report podcast, your home for Manchester City daily content. Um Andrew, let's keep let's Sort of take the lens away from the actual 90 minutes or sort of hundred minutes when you consider the amount of added time that was played, and look at what next. So I mentioned that this could be the starter of the checkered flag in the title race. City and Arsenal currently level on points, City ahead on goal difference. There's a there's a six-goal swing if you're wondering. City on plus 36, Arsenal on plus 26. Arsenal obviously have that game in hand, which would then see them overtake City, but Late April, Arsenal come to the Etihad Stadium for what is probably at this point gearing up to be one of those grudge matches that we've seen City have against Liverpool in the last couple of years. Um, first things first, then in terms of Arsenal, do you think at this point they have the the ability to go and sustain the title race? A lot of managers always say February is the most important month of a season, especially, you know, when you've got European competition, you've got um For most teams, you've got FA Cup or you've got domestic cup competitions. Obviously, Arsenal are out of them. But do you think, having watched Arsenal the last few games, they're now winless in three when it comes to Premier League matches? Is this where we start to look back at the end of the season and go, okay, it was fun whilst it lasted, but they've they've, not got it? Or are they able to bounce back, in your opinion? I I think, absolutely, you know, it's possible they could bounce
1: back, right? Mm -hmm. You can't rule that out. However, When you talk about where Arsenal and City both were when we played that FA Cup match, City had been incredibly inconsistent, had had some bad losses, some weird draws, and it looked like this Arsenal team were just so young they didn't know what to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. And that if City couldn't get back into it, they didn't have anything to worry about. They're just going to use their energy and youth to just keep this their you know, foot on the gas and keep on charging ahead. And people were talking about, oh, they could match City's Centurion campaign or maybe even beat it. You know, maybe they won't lose again. Now, City hosting the FA Cup, beat them. Everton beat them. Brentford, you know, got lucky on VAR, but held them to a draw. And now City went into the Emirates where they hadn't lost yet this season and beat them 3-1. That squad is absolutely concerned, as are the fans. Mm. And so for me, I don't know for sure that this is going to be where it all starts to fall apart, but I think it's, that's the more likely situation. I don't think they're going to not make top four now, but I definitely think that they're going to have a much harder time going toe to toe with city and title race, rather than knowing we have a cushion built in to account
2: for the weirdness that can be football. And I would also say it might not even be about arsenal falling apart, right? It could just be that, City go on a winning run and and make it difficult for Arsenal to win the title. Um, that's not to say that Arsenal wouldn't have a great campaign. They could finish second with, you know, 92, 93 points. That's not a disappointing campaign by any means. I think before the season, any Arsenal fan would take that. So um, I think for City, it's it's going to be about, they're going to need to put together one of those classic runs because it's still... There's still a lot of big games ahead. Um, Arsenal have a pretty favourable schedule coming up. So we'll see what plays out there.
0: Yeah, and I'm um, just looking at the fixture list. There's some big, big matches for City coming up. And, and we said on the preview show that this could be the start of a, a number of huge clashes for City across free competitions in the coming months. And I think if that's only one thing that you can say from an Arsenal perspective that could help them out as opposed to City is the fact that their fixture list and being in the Europa League as opposed to the, the Champions League is going to throw up some easier ties, you should assume. However, as we've been banging the drum for a number of weeks now, a number of months actually, since Arsenal sort of established themselves, City have the know-how. And I think sort of going back to the match itself, that was on show at the Emirates Stadium. City had been there and done it before. They had one big title deciding matches or title influencing matches whereas as andrew says arsenal was uh, such a young team um i think i think arsenal would be the youngest team ever to win the premier league if they got over the line in terms of average age the 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 flip side of that is that they're not scarred by previous damages and previous hurts but on the opposite side they don't have the experience that city have
3: yeah the 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 fixture list is important amos i think Looking at their upcoming games, they've got potential banana skin next, Villa away. Potential banana skin after that, Leicester away. But the next three, four, five fixtures, they should be looking at 15 out of 15. Everton at home, Bournemouth at home, Fulham away, Palace at home, Leeds at home. We are not going to pick up 15 out of 15. I'm not 100% what our fixture list looks like in those corresponding weeks, but... It's certainly not that easy. Uh, I think we mm. might have Newcastle thrown in. I'm not 100% what the exact yeah, yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But our, our, our easy run, we don't really have an easy run and then a hard run or, or vice versa. Ours are, are, are fairly uh, mixed. If Arsenal can pull results out of the bag after the next two, the pressure's back on us. I think they might slip into a little lead again. After that, we've got an easier run. But the last two games, they've got Forest and Wolves. We've got Chelsea and uh, last game of the season is against Brentford away. I think we need to go into the last two games of the season with at least a three or even four point lead. Mm. So I think it's a bit early to be studying the fixtures too hard. I think what's important right now for us is that Arsenal... Do slip on one of these banana skins in the next couple of games, and we win our next three or four, which are fairly easy fixtures. Get ahead of them, put some pressure on them, make them chase us. Um, Europe, they're going to be on Thursday nights, Channel Five. Um,
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> they're, they're on Thursday nights, so they're going to have they're going to be a little bit more leggy over the weekends than we are. It, it, it's just, I think what I'm trying to get at is right now there are too many permutations to start looking at the fixtures game by game and calling how's this going to affect this what's going to happen here we've got to put a good run together we've got to put a run together that's going to look better than theirs and we've got to try and start to open up a bit of a lead as we do get towards the real business end of the season
0: yeah, just for full clarity, that that game in hand, ever uh, sorry, Arsenal have. I'm pretty sure I'm saying it's first of March against Everton at home, which is mm-hmm. actually yeah. in, in three matches' time. So there's yeah. every chance, you know, we've seen it in the past where a game in hand is is held back to the last week of the season or something. It's always in the back of your mind. There's every chance that actually that game in hand could come around pretty pretty soon, and we'll know the picture. Which, which Andrew do you think? sort of looking ahead a lot now but when City go and play or sorry when City welcome Arsenal 26 of April it's currently scheduled at do you think it's sort of what what do you think sort of it, from the next sort of month and two months going into that has to happen for City to be in the strongest position do you think that free if it, say for example every team won out and, and there was that free get ga- three point gap going into it that would be okay for City or do you think as Ollie says City need to in this current iteration of the squad and the way we've seen performances and, and the sort of the the, the 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 way City have slipped up in the recent weeks and, and dropped points, they need a bit of a cushion. They need to take sort of advantage of this momentum they've got because in this craziest of crazy Premier League seasons, the inevitability of a, of drop points will come somewhere down the line.
1: Yeah, so I think you know, City have not been as consistent as we would want to see this season. But the thing we all need to think through is that while City have underperformed a little bit by about unexpected points, they're under by like a just over one point. On expected points, Arsenal has been overachieving by just over seven. So this is not something where Arsenal have looked so good this entire time and they're as mm-hmm. good as City. It's Arsenal have gotten really lucky. They have not played as well as their point total would show. City have played kind of roughly at the target they're at. And for me, I don't think it's likely both teams are going to you know win out. I don't think we are looking at anywhere near a season like we've seen the past few where any team is going to be close to, I think, even 95 points. I think, you know, for me, City probably finish 84. 485. Mm. And Arsenal probably finished like 80 81, maybe 82. It's going to be close probably still. But I don't think this Arsenal squad is going to somehow get back to the winning run that they have been on after having gone through this past couple of weeks. That just doesn't seem likely and so for me, I think we are likely looking at maybe we're, they're still close, maybe you know, we're only a game ahead, but my guess is that when Arsenal show up at the Etihad, that will again be a must win for them, just as in my opinion today was. And I think they will likely lose that one as well. And that will likely kind of finish out the title.
3: Yeah, I think just just to round off what we've both said, looking at the permutations right now of all the fixtures week by week is hard. I think what we want to be looking at on a broader view is how many points are going to win this title. We have had the 90-plus point seasons. I don't think that's going to happen related to what Andrew just said. I don't think we're quite at that level where we can put a string of 10, 11, 12, 13 wins together. So that being said, I think it's going to look more like the, correct me if I'm wrong, 2020-21 season. Mm. We got 86 points to win the league. United got 74. I think we're probably looking around the mid-80s, Mark. I think whoever can tip it, tip scales over 85 will probably win the league. That's what we've got to be aiming for.
0: It's almost like it's a normal title race, isn't it, Joe? That's that's what we're looking at now. We've been so conditioned for these crazy seasons. Is this yeah. just normality? Is this what just what we're meant to be sort of expecting as normal football fans in a normal league?
2: I think it's... Um, I get where you're coming from with normality. I think it's, it's what normality will look like moving forward in the sense that the Premier League's only getting more competitive, I think, especially looking ahead to next season, um, very, very briefly. Newcastle are going to continue to improve. United are can, will continue to improve. Chelsea may or may not figure it out. I mean, it's there's, there's really no gimmies in the league anymore, um, bar maybe two mm. or three matches or, or teams. So um, I think it's just reflective of how strong the league is and that goes beyond just a top six that's that's a top 10 12 um list of 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 teams so Mm -hmm. and just talking quickly on on kind of points and numbers um manchester city i know andrew dating back to our main road ramble days loves 538 but after today's win are 62 percent favorites to win the premier league and they are projected for 83 points with arsenal being projected at 81 points um so I, I I see it kind of what Ollie and Andrew were saying. It's gonna be a low to mid eighties. It's not gonna be a lot of points to win the league. And the big thing about that
1: number from 538 is that going into this match, they basically had both sides as a coin flip at forty eight percent. Like it was the same odds for both. And so this match, when you look at kind of how the season plays out and you look at the underlying numbers, it does have a big effect, regardless of who was gonna win. But you know that this really did change the state of play for the title race
0: and that sounds like a fantastic Place to call it a day, chaps. Thank you very much. Um, if you haven't already, there is a whole host of episodes you can go back and listen to from this week. One more to come from us tomorrow. That'll be sort of continuing the Arsenal uh, sort of review and starting to look ahead to the weekend game against Forest. Thank you very much for listening. It's been a pleasure as always. If you could hit subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review, that'll be very much appreciated. And if you don't, it means City aren't going to win the title. So that'll be on you. Until next time, we'll see you later. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club, because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health